Lord, we do agree with those prayers and do desire to use this time that you've given us to share with one another and to be able to encourage one another. We just pray that you would, in fact, as Jim prayed and empowered empower Bill to communicate freely and openly and from the word, in fact, use it in our lives as well. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Go for it. Okay, so um, let's... Let's follow up on Jim's prayer. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask you to do the teaching. This is your lesson, and we ask you to do the teaching and commit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to take a little different approach here today, a little uh, different thrust. One of the things that has impacted me so strongly from Ray's teaching is the, the richness, the breadth of Scripture, and our need to respond to that. Uh, and so that's what this lesson is going to be about. So I'm really expecting a lot of interaction. Uh, I'm expecting people to comment and, and share as we go through this. I'll be asking lots of questions, uh, and I'm expecting answers. Those are high expectations. Yeah, it's lots of fun. It's lots of fun. So um, it's not enough to hear good teaching. Uh, the, the objective is life change. It's transformation. That's what the purpose of the scriptures is. It's, it's not, we're not to just have our ears tickled, um, but we're rather to be changed into the image of Christ. And uh, we're taught in James that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And that's, that's a strong enough admonition, but then James follows up saying, uh, if we are hearers only, we're deceiving ourselves. That the, the purpose of God transmitting the scripture to us is much deeper than simply uh, our learning something new. And so we want to, uh, that's what we're going to focus on in this lesson, is I'm going to pluck out a few verses from the teaching we've had over the last year or so, and we're going to delve into that from a belief standpoint. Uh, one of the very interesting things about how God has built us is that our behavior is driven by our beliefs. How we respond to something is, is driven by what we believe about it. And so the transformation that, that God has intended in, in the scriptures is to change our beliefs so that our behavior is consistent with his purposes. And uh, I wish I had known that when raising our kids, because uh, I kept trying to respond to their misbehavior on the basis of their actions instead of going after the, the incorrect beliefs that were driving the misbehavior. And I think I could have done a better job as a parent if I had understood this issue. Um, so, Anytime we study a passage of scripture, we should pause and ask ourselves, do I believe this scripture to be true? Now, because we're evangelical Christians and we believe that the scripture is God's revealed word, the answer to that question is always yes. And so because of that, we have to delve deeper and get past that surface answer. So if, if I believed this particular passage that I just finished reading to be true, how would my behavior show that? Now, see, that's the kind of question that will cause us to seriously examine the passage and seriously examine our relationship to what God has taught us in that passage. And that's really important. It's really important to delve into the uh, veracity of the scriptures. Uh, do I believe it to be true, and what difference does the truth of that scripture make in me? And then a second question, what do I need to do to make this truth part of who I am? It's, it's not enough to simply listen to a passage or to study a passage and then walk away. It's not enough. We need to make the passage part of us, and that's part of what James was talking when he said to be doers of the word. He's saying, make it part of us. We, God's objective is to change us to be like Christ, and his scriptures are a tool to that end. And that's what our objective needs to be every time 
we study a passage of scripture every time. So let's take a look at a couple. Uh, 828, if you can remember back when we were in chapter 8, a long time ago, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. It's a, it's a very, very, very powerful passage. It's a passage that most unbelievers totally miss and many Christians do not embrace. Note that it is God doing the causing. Sometimes you'll read a translation that says that all things work to good, together for good, but that's an incorrect translation. God is the cause of all things work together for good. Uh, that is a very, very powerful passage, and it relates right back to the incredible love God demonstrated to us at the cross. Uh, I think of all the perfections of God, his love for us is the most amazing to me. Uh, that, that he would choose, because of who he is, to love us so much to endure the separation of, from his son at the moment he took sin, that Jesus took sin on himself. That's the breadth and depth of the love of God that we're taught in Ephesians is unknowable. It is so big. That is so amazing to me. And this is just another example of that, that he chooses to cause all things, all things, we should underline that, all things to work together for good. Of those who love him, okay, we fit that category. Uh, those of us that have embraced Christ as our Savior certainly love him. Look at this last phrase, who are called according to his purposes. Oh, let's spend a little bit of time on that. So he is telling us in this passage that he's causing things to work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Hmm, interesting, interesting statement. So we'll explore that a little bit. First statement, first question, do we believe it to be true? Do we believe that God causes all things to work together for good of those who love him? Yes. Do we? And, and you see, that yes is an important statement. So what's your experience been? How have you seen that? Um, well, I think this verse has a lot. Um, you know, first of all, it says we know. So that means we stand on that truth. Um, second thing is that God causes. That indicates his sovereignty and his omniscience. Um, and then good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, I think that also indicates that his purposes may not always be real to us. He has gifted us and placed us in positions, be it in a family, a job, a church, wherever. And his purpose is for us to use that gifting wherever he has planted us. And I am experiencing that even now in a new job situation you know a job change like that is a great way to come back to fundamentals isn't it absolutely somebody else what has your experience been of the truth of this passage this is marty um there are a couple of things that jumped out right away to me bill <clears throat> the first thing is that as americans we are very intellectual but we um, don't act on what we believe. And so that's not the Greek definition of the word, but that's how we as Americans seem to um, take it. And so <clears throat> when you ask the question, uh, do I really believe it to be true? You're asking for us to get uh, out of our head and into the relationship with the Lord, which very often is what is <clears throat> attacked um, my relationship. And when when I finally found out that God loves me, which I wasn't really looking for because I thought everything was just fine, and he surprised me with that marvelous fact, it changed everything. So all the things that were keeping me from him because of my <clears throat> weak belief, he changed it so that I, I see also in this verse, there is sanctification going on so that we can do those things according to his purpose that he called us for he uses it all for his glory and i get swept up in that and the thing about those who love him has to be obedience instead of just performance so i like you as a parent focus on performance before relationship with him and uh, i have the same regrets 
but this is a marvelous verse. Do you want, uh, this is Janie, do you want a personal application of this, like where you see the good? How we talk? Well, um, <laughs> I've seen some tragedy in my family, and um, I just, this just popped into my mind about my four-year-old um, niece who had brain cancer, um, basically never got beyond age three until she was 18. But um, and <laughs> I was very close to her and lived real close. So I saw the devastation, <laughs> of, you know, which made me really go to God. Why, why? You know, why not me? But um, ultimately, what I saw was he developed, he showed me how to love and receive love from her in a different way. Um, and it was richer. And I saw many young people who took care of her, finally, um, for a dozen, um, grow closer to God over this. Because little Emily was a believer at age three. And I used to practice on her <laughs> with child evangelism. And she would sing, Jesus Loves Me, after chemo. So I, I saw this. You know, she died at 18. And... Um, there was an impact on the entire, you know, family. And even when I traveled to Ukraine and when I was teaching and wrote up how God performed a miracle at once, which was documented at Kaiser in downtown LA, um, they thought she'd die at nine. Well, you know, it, it's just, uh, to me, you know, this terrible thing that happened, this horrible cancer um, and how he worked that. It was amazing. He's an amazing guy. He is amazing. And, Coming back to his love for us and recognizing that his ways are not our ways, that he does things differently than we do. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, let me focus on this last phrase, according to his purpose. So what's your calling, according to his purposes? To his purposes. Do you understand your calling, and are you pursuing it? And that is a question worth delving into. And let me give you a tool that I found incredibly helpful in doing that. And that's a personal mission statement. And this is, this is something, this is an exercise that's well worth doing. It's difficult. It's difficult. And it's not something that you just think up. You have to go to God and ask him, so what is my purpose here? What is my mission? What am I supposed to do? And as equally important as what you're supposed to do is what you're not supposed to do. Uh, as we help business owners and leaders run their companies for Christ as a platform of ministry, the mission statement is one of the, the things we work on and, and help them get a hold of. And uh, we tell them it's what you're not supposed to do is as important as what you are supposed to do throughout the the uh, 43 years of, of Tetra, every time that I can remember that we narrowed our market thrust, our sales jumped. But as we got more focused on what it is God wanted us to do, he brought us more business. And the uh, getting a hold of your personal mission statement is an incredibly helpful tool to... Um, to serving the Lord. And so let me encourage you this week, spend time with God and ask the question, what is my personal mission statement? Why am I here? Why did you not take me home as soon as I embraced Christ as my savior? What is it I'm supposed to do? And, and not just generic things, but you personally, what am I supposed to do? Why am I here? Now my statement is real simple. It's three, it has three components to it. That I'm supposed to equip business leaders and business owners to run their companies for Christ as a platform of ministry and teaching them to base their company operations on prayer. That's one of my jobs. A second job is to develop and build a Tetra Corporation as a company for Christ. And, and that one has moved to number two because... Uh, I have a partner, Tim Rourke, who's now taken over as president. Uh, we're working on all this together. And then the third is to disciple and encourage people to grow in Christ, especially in prayer. And, and I teach three classes a week uh, as part of that. And my teaching this today is part of that. 
Now, that's really very interesting because if if uh, uh, John Hill down at the at Steelbridge were to call me up and say, "I want you to come down and work with the homeless here and and uh, wait on tables," it's easy for me to say no because it's not on the mission statement. I don't have to take every request on my time and go and pray about it because if it's on the mission statement, then I go do it. If it's not, the answer is no, and and it's uh, it is immensely freeing. When uh, God changed our our mission statement at Tetra in uh, 1997, part of what of the new change was, he said, I don't want you uh, doing uh, technology development on government contracts for others. I want you to only work on technology that you own. And for, I don't know, a decade after that, I would get calls from Sandia Labs from Los Alamos saying, we'd like you guys to develop this for us or develop that for us. And I have to tell you, it hurt to say no. It hurt to turn that business down because that's not what we did. God changed the mission statement, and that was not part of the mission. So the answer was no. So as you get your arms around your mission statement, it is incredibly freeing. Like I said, I don't have to pray about most requests on my time. Because if it doesn't fit the mission statement, I'm not going to do it. Unless God intervenes and tells me, no, I really want you to do this, then then I'll do that. But otherwise, it's not an issue I have to go and ask him about. So let me encourage you to work on this. And and uh, this week, don't let the week end without you getting started on this. Now, if you can get this mission statement done in a week, then uh, praise God, that's wonderful. Uh, but remember, it's not you figiring it out. It's, it's uh, God telling you. You just need to spend a lot of time listening and studying the scriptures. Comments, observations. So, Jim, this is Patrick. Um, I mean, uh, Bill, I'm sorry. Uh, how long did it take you once you started developing? How did you know that that was the mission, your mission statement? Well, those are two separate questions. Um, and perhaps Ray will let me teach another class sometime about hearing God's voice. Uh, it is God's intent that we receive what he has to tell us. Jesus said, my sheep know me and they know and they hear my voice. Uh, it is his intent. We're taught in James 1, 5, if any lack wisdom, he's to ask and it be given without reproach. And so the point is, if you ask, he'll tell you. But you have to sit long enough to hear and you have to not have any agenda in the matter, no will in the matter. Uh, secondly, um, Pat, I don't remember. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, this was a long time ago. I'm, I'm guessing is that, um, I'm guessing this mission statement was defined for me in the early nineties. We went through a really deep, difficult time in the mid nineties. And, uh, and it was really where God got my attention and, and convinced me that he could be trusted. And I suspect that it was at that time that he defined what my mission was. Um, I, I don't honestly remember. I suspect it took several months. Um, probably as, as with most things with God, the most important part is asking the question. The most important part is, is coming to realize that it's an issue you need to settle with him. Well, and, I, really, I really like having that freedom to, you know, things that are to demands upon your time not in the statement and um you know that's that's difficult, you know because you know you always think oh this is a this is a good cause you know i should take the time to to pray about it or to consider doing it. of course that's more time and um so yeah i think that is really uh freeing to be able to quickly make some of those i mean not eliminate them but just be able to answer them because they're not part of what you feel as on your that god has a permission state Exactly. The issue is focusing on the best, not just the good. Yeah. yeah. This is Jim. May I, may I have a turn? or Please. Listen? Okay. Well, uh, I'd like to relate uh, what Bill's talking about uh, to the church a little more specifically. Uh, I know, understand perfectly where Bill's coming from, having been in business for many years myself and gone to your classes, Bill, a long time ago. Uh, but I think that 
the application for me here is understanding how God has gifted me to be a vessel to encourage and build up the church specifically. Um, and I think that goes to the heart of how God has has gifted a person for that purpose. Um, and it also has the same effect as you're talking about here. It guides you uh, to the things that you should be doing and the things that you shouldn't be doing. So it's very freeing. It's also freeing in another sense. Uh, and I, to use an example, uh, I know of someone uh, who is serving as a pastor right now uh, who uh, openly uh, uh, admits that he doesn't have the gift. And uh, uh, it's a, it's a, being a pastor is a challenging enough job, even if you have the gift. There's a, to be equipped by God for that particular gift is is uh, incredibly important for the function of encouraging and building up the body. Um, uh, so uh, I would apply this that maybe for some who are not in business, where it says personal mission statement to seek to understand. Uh, what your per- what your spiritual gift is in so far as it connects to what you should or shouldn't be doing within the church context. Let me let me build on that. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Um, the defining passage on spiritual gifts is First um, Corinthians twelve seven. First uh, Corinthians twelve is an excellent study on gifts. There are multiple studies in scripture and it's it's perhaps the best and verse 7 is the key passage and verse 7 says for the spirit is the gift and this is so terribly important we tend to sometimes think that God gives us a spiritual gift and then we're supposed to go off and exercise it but a good analogy for a spiritual gift is an old incandescent light bulb does anybody remember those Um, And the incandescent light bulb has a filament in the middle, which was invented by Edison, and and then is encased in an inert gas, perhaps argon, and then it has a glass shell. So when you screw that light bulb into a socket and put power to it, the glass does nothing except let the light out. What gives the light is the filament, and that is a wonderful illustration of a spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is choosing how to manifest himself through us, and so he shines out of us, and and that light comes through the envelope. And so, for example, you you could say that I have a gift of teaching. No, that's an incorrect statement. What you could say is the Holy Spirit chooses to manifest himself through me in teaching. And so you notice when I started this out, I asked him to do the teaching. And I try to do that every time I teach because he's the one that's doing the teaching. I can't tell you anything that will impact your life, but he can. And so the... the uh, that illustration of the incandescent lamp is a beautiful way to think about spiritual gifts. The Spirit chooses the gift. He chooses how he's going to manifest himself through you. And then he'll do that, especially as you ask. And uh, usually he is very consistent in how he does that throughout your lifetime. You know, it was probably around 19... Let me guess, around 1972, that God gave me that gift in request to prayer. And uh, we can tell that story another time. But um, he's, I've had that desire for teaching even before I was a believer. But uh, it really became manifest at that point. And, and uh, that's the case with all of the gifts. The gifts are all the manifestation of the Spirit, and they are... Um, how he chooses to work through us, just like that filament chooses to shine through the glass envelope. And we can look at the envelope and say, boy, look at the light coming from that bulb. No, the light's not coming from the bulb. The bulb, light's coming from the filament, 
which is shining through the bulb. And the same is spiritual gifts. Now, so what God can choose to do is, is modify the way he works through a person in, in response to a change he makes in that person's life. He has the right to do that. And he can change that gift anytime he chooses. Very seldom does that happen. Very seldom does God uh, make a dramatic change in how the Holy Spirit works through someone. But he can. Nothing's impossible for him. So it's, it's, uh, uh, it's an important part of this process, you see, of, finding your, of asking him about your personal mission statement. Because what you really want to do is to put your time and effort where he is choosing to work through you. And so if, if uh, uh, he has, has uh, not given you a gift of administration, it's not a good idea to go after a job of administration. And, and uh, you can, if, if you feel a lack in a particular area, something that you're involved in, then ask him to, to uh, work through you that way, because he can do that. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, Bill, this is Sharon. Yeah. Um, this one uh, thing that you mentioned is to me, um, you said uh, we ask for his will, wisdom, and sit long enough to hear it. Yes. And we should not have a will of our own in the matter. I put this into practice once and it sort of stayed all this time. When I was a freshman at college, uh, I was attending Operation Mobilization prayer meetings. OM is, of course, a part of my life, or was started there. And one person um, in, in the fall then asked me to pray seriously about what Lord wanted to go to Mexico at Christmas. It was a two-week trip to Mexico at Christmas time to distribute literature. And I, of course, was thrilled with it. I would love to go. Uh, pretty much concerned about how it would work out and finances and all of that because I no money. But um, of course, in the end, we had to expect the Lord to supply at least 50% of what we gave to our trip. And um, so I realized that as I went to pray about it, that I wanted to go badly. So what I had to do was be willing not to go on this trip. And uh, I had known for some time that being a missionary, how it was going to work out. And so uh, at that point, I just plain had to get to the point where, okay, I'm not going to be upset, I'm going to be discouraged, I'm not unhappy or anything else negative if I can't go, if you say I can't go. And so I got, you know, it took a few days, I'm sure, maybe a week, to get to the point where I was satisfied with not going. And then after that, the Lord told me, you can go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I've never really had to apply it again as graphically as I did in that at that point but perhaps it was because that sent me in the right direction and so after that I didn't have such big decisions quote-unquote to make because I knew what my mission was basically so um, that was my meaning is getting to do what he asks yeah thank you Sharon that's a great illustration and that is absolutely key if you're going to the Lord and asking him for wisdom on something the first step is to make sure you're willing to do anything you can imagine that he would say. Because God does not give advice. This is really important. Let me spend a minute on this. God is not in the advice business. You know, I can choose and Tim can choose to hire a consultant to come in to Tetra and study something and, and give us some recommendations. And we can, we can decide the guy's an idiot. We can pay his fee and throw his recommendations in the trash. Or we can choose to follow what he um, said, or we might pick and choose some things out of it. Um, that's not God's business. God is not in the advice business. And do not expect God to give you advice. Do not expect him to tell you something so you can then choose what you want to do. He doesn't work that way. God is only commands. God only commands. And that's what he does. And we are his bond slaves. We have been bought with a very expensive price from 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7. We've been bought with a very expensive price. We're not our own. He owns us. We're bond slaves to Christ. We were purchased at the cross. When we embrace Christ as our Savior, ownership is transferred to God. We become members of his family. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us, but he owns us. And so he only commands. So don't go to God and ask him for advice so you can decide what to do. 
make sure you've already decided what what uh, that you're going to follow whatever he tells you to do and then go ask. And just like Sharon did, you have to get your heart in that place where you're willing to accept anything he might he might tell you to do and then go ask. And he'll always tell you he promised he would. And he always keeps his promises. But he's not going to give you advice. He'll only command. And you need to get your heart in a position to accept the commands. Really good. Really good. Thanks, Sharon. And I think it's important when Jesus said, um, no longer are you slaves um, who don't know what the master is about. Instead, he has made you sons so that he's willing to share with us what he's doing. That's so relational. It is so relational. It is, it is worth meditating on the events of the cross, and, and I have been doing a lot of that this year. Um, the fact that he adopts us into his family, that we are now adopted sons and daughters, we're brothers, co-heirs with Christ. I mean, that's just crazy. That's amazing. That's just so far beyond anything we would humanly expect, and that's what he's done. The Holy Spirit now lives with us. He is uh, a helpmate. He's our comforter. And a new kind of creature has come into existence that never existed before. And that is the merger of God and humans. It is absolutely astounding to me, the breadth and depth of his love for us. Our response is to love him and obey him. You know, that old, that old Christian hymn, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That's true. Christian life is very simple. Trust God, obey God. That's it. It's just hard. It's hard because we still have the DNA of Adam in us and we still want to do our own thing and we want to be like God, just like Eve did. And that's what the sanctification process is all about, is changing us from who we used to be into the person God already envisions us to be. And your personal mission statement will be a helpful tool in that, in that regard, because it will help you to stay focused on the things God is calling you to do and to avoid the things he's not calling you to do. You know, out of a hundred opportunities to be involved in the kingdom that will impact you this month, only three or four of them are for you. You want to stay focused on the best and step past the good. You see, you do you create two problems if you get involved in something you're not called to do. Uh, number one, you're not doing what you are supposed to do because you're distracted with something that's not for you. And you create a second problem because you've displaced someone from doing that that they're supposed to do. And so you create two problems when you're working in an area that's not for you. And like I said, there's lots and lots of good opportunities to serve, but there are only a few that are yours. So let me encourage you to spend time with God over the next several weeks and ask the question, so what's my personal mission statement? What is it you have for me to do serving you, bringing glory to your name during my time here on earth? What am I supposed to do? And, and Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you do it through me. And, and it's, it's always fair to take a promise from Scripture and quote it back to him. Always fair. You, you accomplish two things. You, you demonstrate faith and you demonstrate expectation. And so you can go to him and say, look, you said in James 1.5 that if I lack wisdom, I'm to ask and you'll provide it without reproach. Well, I'm telling you that I'm expecting you to do what you said. I'm expecting you to tell me, and I'm eagerly looking forward to what you're going to tell me, and I want you to know that I'll do it. I'll obey what you tell me. That kind of prayer is greatly pleasing to him, because without faith, it's impossible to please him from Hebrews 11. And, and when you take one of his promises and you pray it right back to him, it is greatly pleasing to him because you're demonstrating faith, and that pleases him. So as you go into this process of working on your personal mission statement, um, it's fair to ask him, okay, tell me, what is it I'm supposed to do? What is my personal mission statement? Make it clear so I won't misunderstand. And then give me the strength to be obedient to what you tell me. It's, it's immensely powerful. Immensely powerful. Uh, Ray, when am I supposed to quit? 
pretty much whenever you want to. But Oh, no, no, no. That's the wrong answer. <laughs> Trust me. Friends of mine on the call know that's the wrong answer. Uh, <laughs> you've got about, you can do 10 or so. Okay, fine. We'll, we'll do that. Um, and, and by the way, um, this is lesson, this is uh, item one out of eight. So we will not finish today. So if you want me to teach again sometime, the lesson's already done. Uh, so we'll do one more verse. Um, <clears throat> this one is a very important one. Many, many, many of us know 829, 828. We just spent an hour on it. And, and uh, many of us know that uh, very well. But so many of us move on past 829. And this is an important passage. It's a very important passage. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is a very, very important passage because this passage tells us God's objective for us. This passage tells us God's objective for us. It is his goal. It is his goal, his objective, his purpose that we be changed into the image of his son. Well, I'm not like Jesus. And that means I got to change. And that means that part of what God is doing in my life now is to change me so that I look and act and behave like Jesus. That's part of his goal. That's part of his job. This passage tells me it's part of his job. It's part of his purposes. And so that process is another manifestation of his love for us. You see, what, what greater... What greater expression of love could there be than for him to want me to be like Jesus? That's amazing. It is amazing. That's something that he would do. And not only something that he would do, but something that he chooses to do. That it is important to him that we become like Jesus. Now, I've spent quite a bit of time studying heaven. Um, we, we spend a, a quarter teaching on it in one of the classes that I, I teach. And, and I'm, I'm convinced that this process takes forever. The reason that eternal life is eternal is that that's how long it takes to get to know an infinite God. And so this process of conforming me to the image of his son is not going to be done in this life. There will be a start in this life. It is his goal to do that. But it takes much longer than that. And so that means there are going to be hard times. There are going to be difficulties. And, and uh, those are not a single one of those difficulties gets to me without passing through God's hands. The scriptures are clear on that. Not a single one of those gets to me without passing through his hands. And even if the adversary comes against me and mounts a campaign to try to destroy the things that God is doing through me, God still uses those. He uses those difficulties to mold me and shape me closer to be like Christ. So here, here is your question for this passage. Do you recognize the necessity for the hard times, for the difficulties in your life that are necessary to chip away everything that does not look like Christ? You know, someone asked Michelangelo how he did the statue of David. I don't know if you've seen pictures of that, but it is an exquisite, exquisite sculpture. Well, can I just interject that in San Luis Potosí here in Mexico, I happened to be there when they had an exhibition of reproductions, uh, which they make with computers, looks like the real thing, of, of many of uh, Michelangelo's works, including the Statue of David. So oh, I have pictures of looking way up, <laughs> almost falling backwards to see the top of it. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it, it is an amazing sculpture. What a gift that you got the opportunity to see even a reproduction of it. Well, someone asked him, so how did you do that? And he said, I simply chipped away everything that was not David. Did you catch that? He saw inside the block of stone, David. And so he proceeded to chip away everything, every piece of stone that was not David. And that, my friends, is exactly what God is doing in our lives. 
God is in the process of chipping away everything from us that does not look like Christ. And, and I don't know about you, but I got a lot of places in chipping. And so is God going to bring difficult times in my life to do that? No question about it. There's, there's no question. I fully expect that and in, in, in undergoing that now. Is that a bad thing? Not at all. Why is it not bad? Because it is his goal to conform me to the image of Christ. I'm not like Christ. Therefore, I have to change. Therefore, he will bring difficulties in my life to chip away everything that does not look like Christ. I know his purposes. I know what he's after. And so the difficult times are not bad times. They're good times. And so let me just encourage you when the difficult times come. Notice I didn't say if. When the difficult times come to embrace them. In fact, there's a book that, that uh, I'll recommend to you by Paul Bilheimer, South African pastor. And, and uh, he's, he's written uh, a couple of books. Um, it's worthwhile reading them in this order. The first one is Destined for the Throne. And he, in that book, he talks about uh, our destiny as co-rulers with Christ. And it's, it's well worth reading. But the second book, the second book talks about the sorrows. And in the second book, he says, don't just try to get out of your difficult times. Embrace them. Milk them for everything you can, because there are lessons that we can learn here that we can't learn on the other side. Some of the trials we have here won't be on the other side. And so he he uh, encourages us to milk the sorrows, to milk the difficulties, to get everything we can out of them, because those difficulties have been brought to us by God because it is his goal that we be conformed to the image of his son. So let me, let me encourage you to do so. Let me encourage you to think about the difficulties that you have right now and thank God for them. That is one of the key elements in the relationship with God is when a difficult time comes, thank him for it. What, Bill, can I interrupt? Please. What is, what is the verse that says that Christ learned obedience through the things he suffered? Yes. And that ties into what you're saying, that we can only learn that particular obedience through suffering. Yes. And yes. That's hard. That's, that's hard. hard. That's hard, but it's good. And thank you, Mary Lee. And I want to, as we're going to, I'm going to turn it back to Ray and we'll close. I want to uh, point out to the rest of you that uh, the structure of this teaching was suggested by Mary Lee. As we were talking about uh, this teaching, uh, she suggested that we, we focus on the application of the scriptures that Ray's been teaching. So I think. Bill, who is the author of Destined for the Throne? Paul Billheimer. Thank you. Yes. And, and the second one, Mary Lee, what's the title of the second one? Something about sorrows. It's called Don't Waste Your Sorrows. Thank and, you. And it's their companion books. That, and these were written 40, 50 years ago. So, uh, uh, but they're, they, they go together. They're a set. Yeah. Paul is well worth reading. Thank you. Um, Bill, could I just add one more thing to what you said? Uh -huh. your, your metaphor is so good about um, chipping in stone. And the other kind of sculpture is when clay is used. Yes. And that kind of fits in with how he changed our heart of stone to heart of clay so that he can add to the clay. So when I'm in a, in a sorrowful situation, I need to have that life. Take away the thing that's blocking that life, chip away. But then he gets to add his love his patience, that kind of thing, so that I become clay and begin to be shaped by his, the addition of him to my life. That's good, Marty. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, we're in Jeremiah in particular, God talks about his role as the potter, as the one who shapes the clay. That's good. Thank you, Marty. Well, Ray, I think that I have um, used the budget of time you allotted, so let me turn it back to you. Why don't you close us in a word of prayer? And Okay. Father God, thank you for your scriptures. I'm so amazed at the effort you have gone to through millennia to get us your word and to get it 
uh, undistorted. Thank you for your scriptures. And Holy Spirit, would you work in each of our hearts so that as we read the scripture, we ask you to show us the meaning, show us what matters, show us the Father, and shape us closer to the image of Christ through the ministry of the word. Uh, we thank you for the teaching that Ray's been doing on Romans, and uh, we ask for you to richly bless Ray with all of his teaching. Use him powerfully to impact many lives for the kingdom. Uh, we are grateful, uh, Father, to have been called by you to learn more of you. Thank you so much for Jesus. We just commit these things to you. Thank you for this opportunity to spend some time considering your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bill. That was excellent. We certainly will do it again. This isn't the first time, you, but I think this is the first time I've sat in on filling in. Why don't we uh, transition here? Here from Barb and Steve in Texas. I helped raise Steve. I took over after his parents dropped him. <laughs> <laughs> they can tell you the story. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, like my friend said, I was born at an early age. Fifty-two. Uh, 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 first thirty years in Albuquerque. Next thirty years raising four kids in Barbara uh, in California. And then we just moved out here about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, and uh, 1966, I think that's when I met Ray or 67. A lot happened that year. I had two brothers and a father uh, in Vietnam and my sister died. And so that was the first thing in my mind where I began to wonder, is there something more to life than what I see here? And uh, years later, I came to find out that that incident in 66 uh, was the beginning of a couple of, one uncle and a cousin of my dad's prayed for our family. So I think that that did something and so I kind of sat on the fence and then uh, started college in 70 at the same place Ray graduated from, University of New Mexico. I was on a track scholarship. Uh, and at the end of 70, uh, in the winter, there was a campus crusade for Christ um, seminar in Lake Arrowhead Springs, California. And Jay Vernon McGee was teaching probably on the on the book of Galatians. I can kind of still hear his accent. And he said something that made sense. And so I, I remember the very day at the end of 70 when I first really trusted in God through faith. Um, and um, so uh, time went on. I managed a Christian bookstore for a couple of years, uh, decided I needed to uh, go back to school. Uh, I, ha I had quit school, uh, went and graduated in 81 with a pharmacy degree, moved out to California. Uh, a mutual friend introduced me to Barbara through the mail. Uh, she was living in uh, Dallas, knew her from uh, uh, a Christian camp, Pine Cove, uh, in Tyler, Texas. And so we began corresponding early, early in the year. And by the end of the year, we're married. So Ray said we tricked each other. Uh, that was 37 years ago. 37 years ago. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I mentioned that we just moved to Texas. And I, I've got to mention that that's probably our biggest prayer request right now is our, um, is our uh, outreach to others. We're really out here in the sticks, um, so we're looking for uh, venues to uh, share Christ with others. That would be my biggest prayer request. And with that, I give you Barb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't add much to that. Um, I became a Christian, interestingly enough, the same year, 1970. Really? Yeah. Um, I was younger than him, though. <laughs> I still am. But... Um, 
anyway, uh, yeah, so that's, I was raised in a Christian home, but I became a Christian through um, a really, really good friend of mine who became my best friend in school and also through my sister who had just become a Christian, a born-again Christian. And so, um, and I went on to, um, I became a nurse, a registered nurse, worked in Dallas, um, labor and delivery, and then met Steve through the mail. We were the first youth got mail before computers. We did it all. So we have all of our letters. And then we met and got married and four kids and um, seven grandkids here, two in heaven and um, wonderful family. So blessed and really happy to be back in Texas. Um, close to my sister who lives in Dallas, who is a cancer survivor, which I'm very thankful for. And uh, my brother who is handicapped, who lives in Dallas too. So, and we live here with Katie and Mike and the boys and loving every day. That's about it. (laughs) Okay. We can pray for that request. What, uh, tell them the, the time frame between when you first in person met <laughs> well i got my first letter at the end of february in 80 and then steve came out to texas he drove out no he flew out first yeah. time um he actually had the rip him that was in june but he didn't propose because he got advice from somebody back in california you're taking it too quick you need to slow down so he didn't propose but he had the ring with him which i didn't know and then uh, he drove out two weeks later and then proposed. And then we got married in November. So I waited. I waited. I, <laughs> two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but we best best thing that's ever happened to me. So um, she's God's completeness. So. She's a good girl. So really, uh, you proposed without even seeing her physically present. Yeah. Because we fell in love through our letters and, you know, you can be totally yourself. If he, I felt like if I write something that he doesn't like, he'll just stop writing me. So I was just totally honest with him and he was totally honest with me. Sometimes there were two or three letters a day. Yeah. (laughs) So. That's that's before uh, these social media means of connecting. So. Right. Right. We should make a movie. (laughs) that's about all i've got or bill has so uh that's about it next week we'll continue in the next part of the book of romans we left off in any final goodbyes have a great week everyone thanks my pleasure thanks see you next week ray see you guys bye Bye, everybody. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye.